Welcome to Zero Fucks Given. I'm Krista DeLuca along with Carson Block and Freddie Brick. Also joining us today, we have a very special guest, Ross Gerber, who is the co-founder, president, and CEO of Gerber Kawaski Wealth and Investment Management. He has become one of the most influential investors on social and traditional media and appears regularly on Bloomberg, Reuters, Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNN, and CNBC. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having and, me. Yeah. And zeros. And, zero. and uh, you also left out that he's heir to the Gerber baby food fortune. I don't know <laughs> yeah, how I right. That one. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she would have gone for this, Ross. Listen, <laughs> if, if I was heir to the Gerber baby food fortune, I would not be on the show. I would be retired in Sam Ritz or something. So okay, no no relationship then, yes. No relationship at all, except that I have two Gerber babies that have grown a little bit now, but. But uh, my dad's a dentist, so you know I'm heir to a a dental chair and a drill. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us. And you know, I think people might feel it's odd, a little bit strange, bedfellows. You know, Why? given. Well, that's that's what I would that's what I would say. But I I do want to point out, you and I have never actually spoken before, but we have exchanged DMs, and a couple of years ago. I really I wanted to do this like during the the whole gamma squeeze thing and right, uh, right. GameStop. I wanted to film this little segment kind of uh, riff on training day where the dudes are sitting around the table with Ethan Hawke and they're like, you know, hey, cop, you ever had your shit pushed in? So I wanted to do that with with Ross and a couple of other people like Kathy Wood and saying like, hey, short, you ever had your shit pushed in? But and Ross was down to do it. It's just, you know, I. I dropped the ball. I, well, yeah, I was too busy for me. You know what? I was, I was, I figured I should spend more time figuring out how not to lose money and go out of business than I <laughs> than I did on the creative endeavors. I, I think yeah. I know why you lost the weight. Now you were fretting I, at the time, like, oh, how bad will I look compared to those, uh, you know, tatted up dudes with my shirt off. Now you're finally like, Ross, want to do it? I lost a ton <laughs> of weight. Look at me, I'm really ripped. <laughs> well, that's actually, what, that that's what it was. It was you had to look good. Well, part of it's because I didn't realize the guy, the actor who who did that with his shirt off and did that like big flex, that guy was actually not young when he did that. He was in his early 50s. And so that was around 2002, 2003. So here we were 20 years later and I'm like, oh, shit, I don't I don't think this guy, even if he is available to do it, I just don't think it's going to have quite the same effects. Well, now uh, I'm 52 and and I can I can flex pretty good. Actually, I'm in. Best shape All of my right, life Ross. at 52. You let's, know? let's get your shirt off. I mean, <laughs> look at you. You, 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 know, you, you've come on here as if we're a real bunch of guys. You yeah. know, I'm on social media, so if I if I do anything of the sort, I can only imagine how far that'll go on social media in a negative way. So I've tried to avoid, you know, my masculinity too much on, you know, Twitter or something like that. Well, okay, so it backfires when you do the Chamath thing, right? right? When you're like, right. you know, you're, you're, when you're obviously bragging about it, but if it's like, you know, if we're all like, Hey, you know, flex, 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 you're like, I have no choice, but to do it, then I, I don't think, you know, and plus if you don't show your legs, you don't risk the whole. You know. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've worked hard. I've been doing a lot of biking. So my legs are, are less skinny than, than Shamas for sure. And, 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 you know, I, I would say that, I would say that, it's a great way to look at market tops if you're posting pictures of yourself half dressed. So I, that's also like a superstitious thing. Like, 
So if I was like, oh, look, I'm in such great shape. Now, granted, I'm, I'm coming off two weeks of recovery from COVID that I got partying in Vegas. So so I'm, this is the best I felt in actually two weeks. But but before that, <laughs> I, was, I was doing well. But, you know, I'm, I'm really into fitness, really into health. I live in Southern California. Your shirt's off a good amount of the year. I spent a lot of time at the beach. Um, so maybe if somebody catches me down at the beach, you know. So, but, okay, but, but are you married? Because like for me, I got married a long time ago and it was sort of like, ah, gives a shit anymore. Oh, I 100% disagree. First of all, I am married, but, you know, I'm not dead. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, (laughs) my wife doesn't, my wife doesn't pay attention to my podcasts and, and Twitter and stuff. So, you know, but, you know, it's like marriage, why would that matter? To be honest, like about being in shape, like, you know, I'm still very active with my wife, you know, she looks great. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want her to look better than me. You know, I mean, she looks great. I, I got to stay in shape, you know? Fair enough. Well, I guess it's also, I used to live in Southern California. I lived there for eight years in LA and I went to USC, but then ultimately ended up in Northern California. And so lived in the Bay area for, um, yeah, about what, 11 years. And people up there don't, I mean, once... They're fucking I mean, horrible. I yeah, mean, no offense. Well, I met my wife well, there. She's lovely. But I mean, what a horrific looking group of people. I, so I think, I think I think, yeah. that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, well, in general... It's, like, it's different scene up there. It's 100% different. I mean, where I live, I, I would consider is probably the best looking people maybe in the world because we're in Santa Monica, California, where, you know, people are extremely healthy. And then you have a huge amount of people in the entertainment business, mod, every model from the, everywhere in the world comes to LA. And so like you walk around, like there's very attractive people, men and women everywhere, you know, most of the men now, you know, swing left lefty. So it's actually even better <laughs> if you're a heterosexual man. So it's like, you know, it's a really, really good thing to be a heterosexual alpha male in Southern California, you know? So that, that, that's something that's actually, that gets to something I'm really curious about because, um, so I, I moved out of the country in 2005, we moved back in late 2010. And so during that period of time, you know, financial crisis happened, but came back and moved to Northern California. And I haven't spent that much time in LA since I moved back. And that's one of the things I was wondering about, like, you know, as I, Northern California became very culturally uncomfortable there. So we were now right. in Austin. We moved here about nice. a year and a half ago. And I was wondering, like, in Southern California, is it similarly oppressive? You know, is it like, you know, wrong to look at women? Like, you know, used to look at women in public. Like, she's great looking. But yeah, like, whistling, like whistle at women. Be like, yeah, like, yeah. The, like it's the 80s again. No, you know. <laughs> So I have to, I function in many different crowds, you know, so San Francisco is not my place. You know, it's not my thing. It never has been. When I was a kid, I was considering moving, you know, to San Francisco because actually I was just saying I went through one of the worst earthquakes in American history. The Northwood earthquake in 94 was when I, I graduated college. I came back to LA and basically everything got destroyed and I, I lived through this earthquake. So I was like, I'm going to move to San Francisco because I don't know if LA is going to be left, you know? But then I was like, I can't, this is not for me. And that was a long time ago. And, and I'm, I'm a pretty liberal guy, you know, at the time, you know, I was a big deadhead and I was hanging out with the hate, but you know, so in, in LA, you have a very, I, I don't know, I guess the term is woke or, or, or super liberal contingent of people that 
um, very much have adopted a culture that is very extreme in some ways of the expectation to make sure everybody makes everybody happy, no matter how, whatever they believe in or do, you know, and it's, it's gotten kind of out of hand, you know, but then there's also a lot of business people and there's a lot of, you know, financial companies and regular companies in LA. So there's different groups that you work in. So like I can go to a meeting or an event that's in the entertainment industry and it's like, you know, you got to kind of walk on eggshells what you say to some degree. And, you know, part of it is annoying and part of it is fine. You know, it's like whatever, you know, it's just like the way the world is. I mean, I don't know if you get enough weird people in a room nothing I say will make anybody happy. You know, I tend to say extreme things. So, you know, I got to be real careful in, in that crowd, you know, which is fine, I guess. And then, you know, I hang out with lots of business people where, you know, it's just like everywhere else. And, and so I think you choose in LA sort of what scene you're in and, and how much of that you want to expose yourself to. But, but the imposition of it on people isn't really the way it is here. The way it is here is people do what they want to do. And, you know, if you don't mess with me, I don't mess with you. You know, it's less of this, like, oh, I'm going to force this cultural, like, appropriation onto you of my belief system, you know. And I think part of that is the media also exacerbates these conflicts, you know. Um, but, you know, I lived in Venice, California. And one of the things when I lived in Venice for a while, I, I realized, like, no matter how weird you think you are, you're actually not that weird, you know, like, that you, if you go to Venice, there's weirder people than you, no matter how weird you are, you know, like there's a guy who dresses up like a plant and wears stilts and walks around all day long. I swear to God, I, I've been a party. This be guy walks in, long only guy. he's called the, he's called the tree guy. You know, he's like the tree guy and he literally dresses like a tree and walks around on stilts and goes to parties and whatever. He, he, and was, he was actually a pioneer of the ESG movement. Yeah, um, totally. So let's, let's totally. be careful what we say about him. No, I'm friends with the tree guy. He's, he's wonderful. And, and he's, a wonderful he's not that woke actually. He, he just don't insult trees. You know, I don't know. You, you know, our culture. So I think there's a, a wonderful thing about inclusion like I don't, like I wasn't, I wasn't a bully as a kid. I was somebody who got kind of picked on as a kid. So, and, and part of that was because I was smarter than most of the other kids. And so, so the, the athletic ones would be like, oh, Ross is in classes better than me and getting all the girls. So we better pick on him, you know? And, um, and so I, I do have sympathy for people and I don't think it's cool to pick on people for being different. You know, like, I think we should accept people for who they are, even if they're super weird and, and but then there's this extremeness where now I have to like, you know, cater to every whim of every person. And that's where I think it gets out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it's glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that Southern California is not as off the crazy. Well, you can go to Orange County. You, all you have to do is go to Orange County. Orange County is conservative. You mm -hmm. want Trumpers? I mean, most of the Trumpers are gone now because they realize that was a bad, bad. <laughs> but. But if you go down to Orange, Orange County, it's just like, you know, living in Texas or whatever. It's they're, you know, super conservative and none of that goes on down in Laguna. So I spent a lot of time in Laguna. It used to be a, a very gay area. You know, it was like uh, a very liberal artist community. And in, over the years, it's changed. And now it's it's pretty conservative, you know. And, and a lot of those people have now moved to Palm Springs area, which has, you know, become a, a really fun and diverse area. But But like you go down to Orange County and you know, or central coast, you know, people are conservative. Where do you think Kevin McCarthy's from central coast? 
Mm-hmm. You know, well, I'll take the other side on Palm Springs. I used to go down there in the '90s uh, when I was in college to party. It was, yeah, fun. It was fun. Like, I used to say routinely, it's the only place I ever went where the ratio of females to males in a given club or bar was usually in favor of females, like more females than males. And then yeah, it was that this, was the old days. That was the old days, and it seemed like it changed all of a sudden because I think it was in probably 2001 or 2002. With Sonny Bono. Went, went down there this one weekend and just heard techno reverberating from the, you know, the, across the hills constantly. And there was not a, there was not a like straight couple in sight. And so the right. place that we used to go out and go and party, it was great. It's called Cecil's on Sunrise, had been renamed CC's Pipe Factory. Right. And hey, but you got a lot more attention, so it wasn't all bad. <laughs> I'm real popular in Palm Springs. Yeah, I know. It's like everybody hits on you in Palm Springs, guys, girls, whatever. You well, know? you know what? As we have Ross on, I think because we, we had Andrew left on and, you know, I think given Ross how handsome you are, it's only fair that we check. That is your chin, right? That is not an, an implant. Because it's very strong. I don't believe in plastic surgery. And my wife actually has a natural beauty company. Um, so she would probably be horrified if I did that, but no, I don't believe in plastic surgery. I, I believe in aging. I think it's fine to get old. You know, I have hair, so I, I'm not going to complain. Okay. But since you brought it up, I, like, I don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but your hair, your hair is very brown. Yeah. Not dyed? No. Okay. It's not, it's, it, I just got Bon-oni. a cut. It, like, there, so there's gray, like it's way more gray when it's long, but when I cut it short, it's not as gray. Oh, okay. I try All to right. cut as much of it off as possible. Long only much less <laughs> stressful than yeah. what we do. Like, it's, it's, so, you know, this, this brings me to a, a question I wanted to ask. Oh, um, boy. So we, we were sitting here in 2020 just wondering why the fuck we do what we do for a bunch of reasons. Wait. And, why, why 2020? Why not 2016, well, yeah. 17, 18, 19, 20, right. 21? Like, because bull markets are most 2020. of the time. 2020 was like the peak of like, we're such idiots. This is such a terrible time to be alive as a short seller. Right. On the other side of that, were you just waking up every morning being like, this is fucking awesome. <laughs> like, is everyone just like high-fiving the shit out of each other in the office? Being Not like, really. hey, have you heard of this stock? Let's buy it. It's going up. Like, what was it like to be long during that time? Did you feel like a genius? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been investing long enough to know the minute I start feeling smart is a real bad thing, you know? So I tend to try very hard when I'm winning not to celebrate and be excited. And just the same when I'm losing, like last year, which was horrible for me, you know, I try not to be too depressed either. You know, it's like emotions don't really serve me as an investor. So actually, I'm pretty impassionate about those things. And and at that time, if you recall, you know, my basic analysis was that the economy was going to go off a cliff and we were doomed. So we had moved to a pretty conservative actual allocation at the time. And the reason we made so much money was we were overweight and heavily invested in Tesla. And that's when Tesla took off. And so when Tesla took off and and went crazy, I was pretty happy about that, that because I made $250 million, you know? So it was like, you know, <laughs> that part I was happy about also because 
I went through a period of time where people like yourselves, the short sellers were attacking me mercilessly in 2018 and 19. And really, you know, it was a really hard time for me. Like, you know, we were losing money on Tesla and Elon was funding secured and all this nonsense, you know, and like the stock was going down and I very much believed in the company. And I went up there myself and met with management and looked at everything. And I go, things are going well. Like I, I, you know, I don't get it. And then it was like Steve Eastman and the big short people were against me. And then like Andrew, everybody was like against me. And so it was a really hard time, 2018, 19. So when 2020 rolled around and Tesla took off, I felt a lot more satisfaction being right than per se, like how much money I made or didn't make or how well we did that year, which was phenomenal. We made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in 2020, but it was a very hard time. If you recall, the the pandemic was a nightmare to deal with, um, not just socially, you know, I hated staying home. Our, our business had to adapt greatly to the situations we were in. And for a good part of the year, we dealt with thousands of clients who were extremely nervous because remember the market was down 35% in March. And so like when it, when everything recovered and it was like, what the hell? I was pretty like, holy crap, this is working out. Like, thank God, you know, but it was only because the Fed and, and the drastic actions of the government to really support asset prices, which it turned out was way too drastic in hindsight, which led to the repricing that we had last year. And just the same, it was an extremely difficult year for me last year, too. And, and, and you know, it sucks. It sucks. So investing basically is a painful process for me. Most, most of the time when it, it's up, I, I try not to be too excited because then I'm nervous. And then when it's down, I have to deal with like thousands of clients complaining and issues and whatever. So I think for me, you know, it was funny. I was just working with this client and, and I was going over their long-term performance. They've been with the client for me for a long time. For me, over time, we have a very good result for clients and I want people to reach their financial goals. And, and the fact that we were able to get through the pandemic in a way that was profitable for our clients was super great, you know, cause it was a really hard time for a lot of people, a lot of loss and such. And, and then followed up with 21, which was like even more ridiculous, but see what happens is everybody gets so excited in my office and it makes me super skeptical. And then I wish I sold more in 21, which I didn't do, you know, and then things are always worse than I think they are when things go down, you know, so I, I didn't think the fed would raise to four and a half, you know, boy, if I would have known that I would have sold twice as much, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, I think investing is generally painful and I don't do too much celebrating or or crying. Yeah, fair enough. Now, I actually don't know that much about your business model. I mean, you're an RIA, so right. I guess you're doing individual accounts and then you right. also have um, the ETF. Is right. that is that right? And when, when did you launch the ETF and what's what's that been like in terms of? I mean, I would imagine that the complexity that adds to your business is yeah. pretty substantial. Yes, they, they lied to me. <laughs> they failed to tell me that part. You know, as I finish this, I have to do more work, SEC, blah, blah, blah. But no, I manage, we manage uh, right now almost 12,000 families, uh, households. We have about 20,000 accounts that we manage individually. Um, from very small clients in what we call our Get Invested program, which can be people with $10,000 or less, um, to high net worth clients that might have, you know, $20 million or above. 
Um, the majority of our clients are normal people, you know, with an asset range of let's say 250,000 to 2 million. And, um, that niche is super awesome because most of our competitors sort of ignore people who aren't very wealthy. So it leaves this big thing. And then secondly, we're very, um, young focused. So we work with older clients too, but, but the majority of our clients are 50 or below, you know, my age or lower gen X millennials, gen Y that's really our, our focus. And, and so that, really has allowed us to grow. So our inflows are really what I look at more and what I care about more than per se. I mean, returns are important too, but like, you know, our inflows are quite substantial. We take in, you know, almost 300 million a year in new assets each year. And and even last year in our worst performing year, we did not have any slowdown in inflows, which was incredible considering. So, you know, at the top of the market, I was convinced to start an ETF, but part of that was being able to scale money management among all this clients. It was a much more efficient tool to scale our money management, actively ma managing money. Obviously it's very hard for 20,000 accounts. And then, um, and then secondly, the tax advantages, that was really it. You know, we made so much money on Tesla. And then when we took profits and, and realized those gains, you know, we paid millions and millions and millions in taxes. Our, our clients did. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. And, and then somebody explained to me about active ETFs and the fact that I could avoid capital gains taxes through this structure. And I was like, wow, this is a great idea. You know, they failed to tell me, you know, how hard it was to deal with an ETF compliance wise, whatever, you know, fine. So I started it in uh, July of uh, 21 and had a great first six months. And then just got pounded, you know, because it's only stocks. So our traditional portfolios have a balance between stocks and bonds and, and our weightings are depending on our clients risk tolerance. So last year wasn't as bad for us for our traditional client than per se the ETF, which really represents our 40. Right now it's 40 stocks. It's our alpha, you know, so like we'll take the S&P index and then put like my ETF over it and then put some sort of bond allocation and then like weight that for your risk tolerance. And, and that's a simple way to, the way we manage money, a simple way to look at it. So how many people do you have working for you now? It's almost 50 now. So we have um, 26 advisors that directly work with clients. And then I have, my, our accounting business is growing like crazy. So I got sick and tired of accountants. I, I, I really hate accountants. Like, I, and I don't hate accounts. Um, I, I hate lawyers. We, yeah, we're gonna edit <laughs> out those two. We're going to edit out the bit where you say I don't hate accountants, actually. We're going to just <laughs> gonna leave well, you there. I say that and then I'll get like four calls from clients who are accountants and be like, oh, Ross said he hates accountants. Except for And then you. my advisors complain. You know, they go, oh, Ross said something that pissed off somebody. I go, we got 12,000 people. It's impossible for me not to piss somebody off um, if they if they watch this stuff. Um, but they don't. we started no, an accounting no. firm with one guy and he sucked. So I fired him. <laughs> and then I found that this miracle, you know, God gave me a miracle and got, found me this young guy who was super motivated. And I said, we want to build an accounting firm. We're sick and tired of this. We want to use technology. We want to apply the same things we did with financial services, but in accounting. And he got it. And now we've got five accountants. So it's growing like crazy. And so what, uh, 
Is this, so we I have mean, five this, accountants and I've got 26 advisors. Is this just serving your asset management business or what kind of accounting firm is it? Yeah, it's like we, we serve our clients, individual okay. clients, filing tax returns. And oh, okay. So yeah, it's we not, file tax returns, you know, and like yeah. help people. So like if you have an account with us, we already know everything. And we have like, so you, like we built this technology. We didn't build it. We, we use this technology where you can just like upload your forms. And we're trying to make accounting like the easiest, least painful experience of your life because like I hated dealing with my accountant. It was, it was sucked. And it was like, I, I got to just redo this whole business model. So most of the accounting firms, you know, they charge such high fees and the same thing with like, uh, with high net worth, you know, they only focus on people with tons of money and then you get turbo task tax if you're, if you don't have any money. And so like, we were like, what about all these people in the middle? Like, what are they doing? And they're being overcharged or under service. And so we're like, we'll, we'll use technology and we'll be able to leverage because um, actually taxes isn't hard. Once we do one year, it doesn't change that much for clients. So we just now just update it, file your return. Boom. So it's, it's been great. So, so we have 50 employees or so, and it's about 32 professional, you know, accounting and investment professionals. But it's interesting to me, I mean, you have all, thousands of individual accounts and you said, I think 26 advisors. I mean, how do you, hmm. how do you do that? Well, it's not easy. So, so the first thing is um, most younger people don't want to meet in person anymore. And Zoom was one of the most incredible efficiencies that we implemented in our business ever. And secondly, many young people are happy to communicate by email. So it's not like we have like calls all the time. Like I used to get calls. Like when you have calls all the time, it's time consuming. But when you have emails, you can kind of like deal with stuff when you're ready to deal with it. And you can deal with stuff in a lot more scale. And so our typical advisor is managing hundreds of relationships. But many of those relationships aren't that hard to manage because their situations aren't that complex. You know, um, you know, it could be a young person in their 30s who's not married, who has $250,000 invested with us. And the, the needs of those clients is, is really relevant to each person. But because we handle stuff and we actively manage stuff, many of our clients, they don't need to meet and be serviced as much as maybe, let's say, older clients are most used to. You know, I have clients who still call me up on the phone and expect me to just pick up the phone like I'm a broker. You know what I mean? And I'm like, uh, you know, sorry, those days are over. You know, email me and I'll get back to you and we'll make some time to talk, you know. Um, but, it, you know, it's most advisors in our industry manage about 100 relationships. Um, so we thought that, you know, we could do five times more with technology. So we, we also do what's called um, bulk trading or, or enhanced trading where we manage a good 25% of our book through like a centralized management through technology. So when we make trades for like this overall model, we have lots of them now, it affects maybe like thousands of accounts now. So it's, a, it's, it's almost like running a battleship where we have to make sure we do everything right but we can do things in scale because of technology. And that was always our goal when I started the firm was like, how do we leverage technology to build a massive firm? But like, how, how scalable can we make this? You know, so now we've reached kind of the limits. <laughs> so we're hiring. We need more advisors. Okay. Interesting. And I'd imagine that the 80-20 the rule kind of holds true for your business where 80% of your profits come from 20% of your clients or? 
Um, no, because the bigger clients get, you know, they charge and you charge them less, you know, and, and they take a lot more time and energy. So you have to look at your, you know, like your value per, you know, how much effort per dollar earned, you know? So like, so that's why working with clients with like a million to $2 million is great because, you know, we can make a decent amount of income working for those clients, but their demands are much less than somebody who's got $10 million with you or 15 million. You know, some of these people want to talk to you all the time. I'm like, listen, you know, I can't, I can't manage that relationship. You know, it's just too hard. So if you look at a traditional broker at like Merrill or, or any of the wirehouses, they spend an enormous amount of time whining and dining their clients and potential clients, you know, I mean, they're traveling, they're taking them here and taking them there. And, and it's super competitive because everybody's going for the same guy with 50 mil, you know? And so if you got most of the industry chasing the whales, you know, it's a very time consuming process. Plus you're always defending your business from every pitch, from every hedge fund and every buddy, you know? And so like, we serve the public and, and that was really my goal. You know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a deadhead. So my, my fundamental, you know, I'm not going to say what I feel about ultra rich people, but I You're much prefer say it. It. Say it. <laughs> None of the ultra rich are watching. watching. I promise you. <laughs> well, I'm friends with some of the richest people in the world, a couple of them, and they're actually pretty cool. But I live in the Palisades with some very wealthy neighbors and they're all assholes. So I'll just be, straightforward. I don't really want to work with assholes. A lot of people become very successful and they're tough people and that's the way they are. But, you know, quite frankly, I, it doesn't make me feel good making money for rich people. I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel the same as when you help somebody like really build what a about losing plan, money you know? for rich people could you just had them in last year and be like job's done now i'm going nah, back to the grassroots you know, i don't like losing money you know once again <laughs> it's more important for me to be right i want to be a good investor it's an intellectual game for me like like every night every day i i, I spend my time like trying to figure out the best place to invest and and how i can make the most amount of money with the least amount of risk so it's not a, a you know i'm not a a person who just takes risk you know like Oh, I'm just going to add at risk. And, and if I'm lucky, I'll be good. Like I look at it more like what's the max amount of profit I can make with the least amount of risk. And even if that risk adjusted profit might be less than with a higher level of risk, I'm okay with that because the doubt, you know, and that's why I kind of failed last year because we lost more than we should have, you know? Um, but I'm also not going to sell my Tesla and it's down 75%. What do you want me to do? You know? So how, I mean, I'm not familiar with the holdings in your, in your ETF, but um, I mean, I obviously know you from Tesla, right? but That's do you one. have, I mean, in general, is that what you like to invest in on the long side? Those, those kinds of no, stocks? No, I own you know, casinos. Sort of My number wood. two position is uh, MGM hotels. Okay. You know, I love the casino business. I love online gambling. So we have several major themes we invest in, you know, then it's followed by, uh, like Netflix, Microsoft, um, Disney is now a, a, a top holding again. I'm happy about now that Iger's back. So we invest a lot in entertainment streaming, you know, Netflix is a top holding. Um, and then it can be other businesses too. We just took a position in steel dynamics. It's a steel company, you know, um, uh, Novo Nordesk, you know, everybody's taking this uh, weight loss drug. It's like crazy in L.A. And okay. it's like, right. so we had this huge conversation just before this started with this yeah. one. So 
Do you, 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 you were talking about this drug. Yeah, well, it's, it's crazy. Crazy good or crazy bad? Crazy how many people are taking it. Yeah, but it does. I mean, it it it, may, it does something to your face, right? Supposedly, it does. It does a lot to you. <laughs> you know, like I'm a much bigger believer that you should just eat less and work out. Um, but we have an obesity problem in this country that's insane. Like I was just okay. in Vegas checking out MGM and getting COVID, and it's like when you see the general public compared to California, it's like shocking. You know, yeah. we have an obesity epidemic in this mm-hmm. country. And so, you know, this drug comes out. I'm disappointed, Ross. I'm disappointed that you were on a floor where you would have to rub shoulders with the lay person. With the general public. (laughs) Well, this is how I make money. I got to... I don't know what, what people are doing. You know, so wait, like you by the in. craps table being like, bro, I, I got a way better risk weighted thing for you as he's about to like slide a ton of chips over no, 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 and you're no, like, no. have you- uh, Shut up. I want them to gamble. <laughs> no, no, no. You know, I, I learned from this guy named Steve Wynn when I was a kid and it was, you want to be the house, you know? So I want people to gamble. Absolutely. I'm perfectly happy with them gambling. I'm not going to tell them that. Stop gambling. I hope you bet on the Super Bowl. <laughs> I hope you go to the Bet MGM, you know, uh, lounge outside of the stadium and have a great time. You know, I'm all for people. I believe people should be able to do whatever they want to do with their money. Uh, and when they want financial planning, they can come to me and we'll show them to invest in the casino. It's, it's a good thing. Um, but, you know, the weight loss thing, you know, was really built around diabetes and they found that this hormone would suppress your, your hunger basically, but it has many side effects and the way it affects each person is, is a little bit different and how much dosing you take and so on. But what we've seen is that people are losing 25% of their weight. And if you're 350 pounds, you're a lot better off being 250 pounds, you know? Um, and so what they're saying, it's the, the lesser of the two evils per se. Um, we have a culture now that, you know, it's fine to be super big and, and people almost celebrate it. And, and now, you know, they're looking for, I think an easier way out, which is using this drug. And and it's about $1,500 a month. It's pretty expensive and it does work. Um, but you have to take it forever. What if you want to lose six pounds by the weekend? (laughs) By the weekend? Yeah. Fast, (laughs) just fast. So, uh, I mean, maybe if you like, you know, crushed it up and snorted it, you'd be yeah. even faster. No. <laughs> the best way to lose weight is eat less. So I get the hormonal thing where if your hormones, you know, change and you're, you're not hungry. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm a cannabis user, so I have the opposite problem. You know, like I, if I smoke pot, it's like, you know, I can eat a house down. You know what I mean? And I so most people can do that. So yeah. So like yet. I actually have the opposite problem that, you know, I use cannabis here and there and you know it helps me sleep and relax and and enjoy playing my guitar or whatever um but then it's like i go into the kitchen and i see the kids stuff and i start eating through their their candy or whatever you know yeah Um, but you know eating less is is definitely the right strategy right way to go yeah Yeah, no it's just yeah all right so I know, I know we're also running up against Disney earnings and you're, you're going right. to jump for that. And there were definitely some, there were some things we wanted to get to. You have questions you're dying to ask. I just wanted ask. to know if you owned or will you own a Cybertruck? Are you yeah. into? Yes. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've owned every Tesla. You know, right. it's like. And I, you know I, why I, you're going to own a Cybertruck? Because it's fucking cool. It is so ugly. 
I, like, so I don't care. It is so yeah. ugly. I mean, Carson, so Carson, if you show up in the Cybertruck, it doesn't matter how ugly it is. Everybody's going to walk up to your car. Everybody. Do, do I want that? I mean, it's kind of fun when you're in L.A. and these dudes roll around in their Bugattis and then you roll up in your Cybertruck. Everybody's going to like, oh, Bugatti, what? You know, Ferrari, blah. You know, Uh, no, for me, I'm I am a big investor in Tesla, so I want to make sure the truck is great. So I buy the products. I use product, you know, so anything I invest in. Granted, I haven't used the weight loss drug, but. Everything I, <laughs> I, I do typically, you know, know the products very well, you know, the products or services of those companies, you know. Okay, but so you're, so you'll buy it for research purposes. Yeah. But I mean, you know, honest know to God truth, part. does it look honest. good or does it look ugly, the Cybertruck? Well, I've seen it in real life. Okay. And it's one of the most incredible vehicles I've ever seen. I think when you think about the future, that we often are wedded with our ideas of the past, like what beauty is. For example, in the Renaissance era, being large was considered beautiful. And then there was this era now that everybody got so skinny, like the Victoria's Secret era, where women were supposed to be like so skinny and tall, it was absurd. And that was like the image of people. It was great, that was a good fucking era. Now we look at those women and they go, oh, why would we think that's attractive? They're so skinny. You know, so like- Send them over here. Yeah. Yeah. Send us your ugly Victoria's Secret outcast models. (laughs) No, listen, a lot of models are making a good living now that aren't skinny, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's actually the big thing right now is a lot of the models aren't skinny anymore. And I think that's a good thing too. Um, but isn't that part of like the forcing this view, yeah. forcing like other people's values on everybody else? No, so it's called selling it's products like, to your audience, to be honest. If, if they wanted to stay models, do you think they've got all those skinny Victoria's Secrets models and they're like force feeding them like foie gras? And they're like, you need to fatten up. They you need to stay on the runway. They won't eat it. You know, they're, they're, still, they're still making a living. Don't worry. Um, but... I think the Cybertruck represents a vision of the future and it's a vision that you might not be comfortable yet because we're so used to F-150s and and that sort of vision of what a truck is. And I think if you think about cell phones and like what they looked like 20 years ago, we think they were like junky pieces of crap compared to today. And now you look at these sleek, you know, iPhones and that's, that's what we consider the future. And now, you know, we might say that about VR glasses and like, I'll never wear these clunky things. They're huge and, and horrible, which is true. But in five years, that's not going to be the case. And we'll probably be wearing regular glasses that, you know, do a lot of things. So, so I think oftentimes these visions of the future are shocking to people. And then over time it becomes normal. Now the Cybertruck is meant to do that. So keep in mind, it's meant to make an impact that way, not to be a truck to sell like the Ford Lightning, which will do very well as a regular truck. I like the Rivian truck. You know, the Rivian's a beautiful truck. I see them now around and I think they're great trucks. So if you want to different versions of the past or the future, you've got Cybertruck on one end, you've got the Lightning on the other hand. And you got the Rivian in the middle. So it doesn't appeal to everybody, and neither does most things. But, I mean, was it, was it designed that way to be different, or was it designed because Elon Musk or somebody mm. thought, this, is, this looks uh, great? I mean, it looks think, to me like a DeLorean banged a doorstop. It does kind of look like a DeLorean. <laughs> um, I think the more I... 
<laughs> I understand. I try to understand Elon and I say try because it's real hard to see his vision. His vision is so massive and so forward thinking that oftentimes I realize that even in my wildest, like forethought of what he could be thinking is usually not far enough, you know? And I think that he's the innovator of our time. And so oftentimes, you know, it's hard to imagine, but, but I think what he's thinking about is like what the future will bring. And maybe this is a vehicle that you'll use on another planet. You know, I don't know, but that's the way he's thinking. He's thinking like nobody else. And so he'll, he'll build a truck. It's going to be a super hard truck to build too, because it's got like ridiculous steel and stamping process, but he's going to build this truck and it's going to be insane. And, and, and the tech in the truck is going to be insane too. And the charging and the speed is going to be insane too. So I think it'll be quite an impressive vehicle, even though it might take a lot of people a long time to get used to. It also might never actually exist. No, it's going to exist. It's going to exist. Yeah, for sure. When is it and not not a messing with you question, just when is it supposed to go on sale? It's supposed to like start some sort of deliveries at the end of this year. And, um, you know, I'm I'm hopefully going out to Austin in two, three weeks to see where they're at um, for this event. What color? So I was because th- I think it's a really fucking cool. We we had a I long just, debate about this. I right. think it's a really uh, cool looking uh, car. The, 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 deba- the debate's not. It's not going to end. And <laughs> I'm thinking I would get it in like matte black with some camo, because then you yeah. like really are making a statement. Like, I don't think it, you can paint it though. I don't think it's paintable. I mean, that seems like a little bit of an oversight. So, so is like, it you only, can only? No, it's get like it a in steel. Silver. It's like it's like a steel. And it's like, you can like shoot machine guns at this thing. You know, it's like. Well, he did throw a rock I, there. Yeah, I remember when. when yeah, that yeah, was like, at the glass, though. That was at the glass. But I'm just saying, like. <laughs> I'll tell the you what, Ross. When, when you come down to Austin, crazy. instead of hanging out at like a shooting range, we'll just have you stand behind the door and we'll test your level of conviction in uh, whether you can shoot things at it. <laughs> then we'll see if you're a believer, my friend. Job. Right. That's the inventor's job. But no, I. Uh, I, I think that the worst mistake people can make is underestimating Elon Musk. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I said years whether you ago, believe in it or not, just don't underestimate him. You know, no, I, I I said years ago that I don't think and you know this is when Tesla was like you know sixty dollars a share pre-split. Said yeah, you know. I wouldn't go long Tesla, but it's another thing to short Elon Musk. And right. we ended up owning puts that almost hit in uh, that 18, 19 period, uh, crash right. puts. But we were long the Tesla converts and we used the coupons to fund the, uh, the purchase. That's what I was puts. doing too. I was long the converts too. Were you buying puts though? No. Oh, okay. No, I mean, <laughs> First of all, I'm not good at shorting. You know, that's that's one thing I know I'm not good at. You know, like I just don't make money betting against stuff. You know, even stuff that was obvious to me, like Nicola, you know, like I, I can smell these bad actors pretty easily, but I don't like to bet against these things because even Nicola is still in business, which I, I don't even know how. So it's like, you know, like I think what you guys do is a very specific skill and talent. Um, and I think it's a really difficult strategy when 
it's kind of rigged against you. You know, like the markets are rigged against you. Look at Bed Bath & Beyond. I mean, this thing is so bankrupt, it's scary, right? And some hedge fund comes in, it's like, oh, we'll give them a billion dollars. And I'm like, I was saying to my wife. These are, Hudson Bay is very, very sharp money. I mean, this is- No, I know. But Bed Bath & Beyond is not coming back. It's not coming back. What they're Mm -hmm. hoping for is it'll be like an AMC deal where they take the equity and then it becomes like a mem stock and then it'll rally and they'll dump it and make money. Yep. Okay. I I get what they're trying to do. They don't even need that to happen. This structure is so awesome. There's some downside risk. I I know. It's really rigged, but I'm still saying like it's a piece of crap company. I mean, Bed Bath & Beyond is dead. It will never come back. Okay. I mean, it's just like, I'm sorry. They just missed, like missed the, it's gone, you know, like, so I don't know why I'd bet a billion dollars on that. Any way you look at it, you know, like, I guess that I think that's a hard way to make money, you know, but I think short sellers generally have a very difficult task because the markets are rigged and especially the banks don't want to see their bonds get wiped out and things like that. So it's like, everybody's always rescuing these like horrible companies. And so I think you, you're best off relying on the ones that are like extremely overvalued and quite liquid where you have this opportunity, you know, like Tesla last year where the founder decides to buy Twitter and then goes on a selling spree in the open market for like a year straight, you know, boy, that was an easy short if I would have thought about it back then, you know, and what but do you I think? actually didn't think he was going to do any of that. Right. Well, I mean, there was obviously a lot of beta there, but um, and when we look at what's happened in the market very recently in December and January, I mean, probably a lot of this is due to liquidity with BOJ, PBOC injecting it. But um, when, you know, to the extent we get past that, I mean, you're obviously a bull on Tesla, but I mean, I don't know, do you, you know, do you think, I mean, is, is there a time at which, I mean, is there a sign that you would look for? That would tell you you should be getting out. Yeah, something happens to Elon. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of okay. That's. But I mean, you know, I'll tell. I, you know, it's what I told Chanos two weeks ago. I go, this is the most consequential. It's the most consequential company of our time right now. You know, like if you're going to bet against stuff, I, I get that. But but why would you bet against this? You know, it's like there are really bad companies you can bet against. You know. And this is a really good company. And when you go to Tesla and you meet the people who actually work there, they're very impressive. You know, like the work ethic, the expectations, the the level of success they're achieving is unbelievable and hugely motivating. And I think that's something a lot of people don't consider when they look at a stock, for example, is not understanding the people behind the stock. And, you know, once again, if you look at, let's say, Google today and all the problems that they're running up against now, you can say, oh, I could short Google and you look at the companies bloated with people and what have they innovated? And, you know, you can start making arguments. Granted, it's not a very high valuation. You know, I would rather bet against something like that than bet against Tesla. You know what I mean? All right. Cool. Well, Ross. Not that I would bet against Google, though. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's one of uh, my my son. We've got a little Ugma account for him. So it's one of the two things we've gone long so far. So what do you got? You got long Google and long what? Akamai. Oh, okay. That's not a bad one. Yeah, I saw the reason I like Akamai years ago. um, Somebody uh, somebody who was involved in in Muddy Waters really knew um, some parts of tech. 
And he was telling me what a joke Rackspace was. This was 2012. Yeah, I remember that stock. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's like, look, Rackspace has no IP. Um, they're just, it's just basically, it's, it's just hosting. Right. And so what we had looked at, um, we went in and saw that what Rackspace had done, basically, they did a, a global find and replace. They took out servers with, and replaced it with cloud. And so just super buzzword dependent. And the valuation at that time was 2x that of Akamai. Right. And he contrasted it with Akamai. And he said, yeah, look at Tom Layton. Like, this guy's a very serious uh, this guy's a very serious guy, but he's just not promotional. And I happened to go to a conference, um, thinking also in 2012, and I saw the then CEO of Rackspace on stage next to Tom Layton. And it was just, it was a great contrast in promotional versus non-promotional. So Tom Layton is there in a pinstripe suit. He didn't have a tie, but the guy from Rackspace is there and he's got um, the Google Google Glass on, which was brand right, new and everybody, right. and it was like the lamest shit, right? And right. and he's just so buzz, just so buzzwordy. And that that was a great lesson, a great contrast in, you know, a guy who could yoke his stock price in the short term, although he did exit and, you know, they got a great buyout from PE. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I've always, you know, looking back at the numbers with Akamai, you just see Tom Layton and Akamai, very steadily growing, cash flowing business. Yeah, pretty conservatively man, conservatively managed. So, anyway, that's why those are the two names so far. And we were kind of waiting for things to get even cheaper before adding uh, other positions. But uh, well, you you have one more chance to add Tesla before. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, never. My my son would would just think everything I've ever told him about life was a lie if I suggested he buy Tesla. Like, I can't that do was that. like, if you're not first, you're last. And he's like, what do you mean, son? I never said that. And he's like, my whole life has been, if you're not first, you're last. And now you tell him, he goes, that's stupid. Why, why would I say that? He's, like, he's going to think there really is a Ricky Santa Bobby. Claus because I told him recently there is isn't. Carson, He'll think there is God. He'll respect you when you make 10X on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair you just tell him to talk to Ross Gerber. He knows who I am. You'd, you'd, you'd say, <laughs> your kid probably follows me secretly. You know? That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Thanks a lot Thank for being so on, Ross. Really yeah, enjoyed thanks it. Thanks for having me. It's, I really enjoy it and, and I appreciate it. And um, love to do this again. All right, great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Ross.